Susan Araslin. And I am drinking because this movie was awful. My name is David Daw and I am your other host. On this podcast, we watch every movie that has ever been nominated for a Best Picture from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. Every week, we will watch a different movie and review it for you. And then when we've watched all the movies that were nominated in a given year, we will tell you if the Academy chose correctly. This week we are starting off the 1930-1931 year with the winner, which is a movie called Cimarron. Yep. Spoiler alert, the Academy chose wrong. So we were wondering last week if either the rule that if the poster is amazing, the movie is really bad, Mm -hmm. or that the Academy chose the wrong movie, which have held fast for the three years we've reviewed so far, which one of them would break? And... I think we know which one broke, and I, (laughs) I have a theory as to why, but I think we should, like, actually discuss what this movie is, I guess, a little bit before I really, like get into theorizing about it. Okay, I just want to go on record as saying I'm not ready to say the Academy chose wrong only because we've only watched one movie from this year. Okay, yes, it is is theoretically possible that every other movie this year will be worse than this one. I'm just (laughs) really, really, really hoping that's not true. I can nutshell this movie really, really fast. Okay. Politically woke dude, still bad partner, and deadbeat dad. Yes. Makes Oklahoma a state single-handedly. That's the, that's the <laughs> plot. Insofar as there is a plot to this film, that is the plot of it. This is one of those weird movies where 8,000 fucking things happen in this movie. And yet, like, I was so bored by this movie and constantly had the thought of nothing is happening in this film. There is a new incident, like, every 20 seconds And yet I just feel like nothing is fucking happening in this movie. Nothing happens. They keep doing time skips. Yeah, they do start doing time skips. And this is the first movie we've watched that is one of those, like, sweeping historical epics that focuses on one family while history happens around them. Or, as as you said, while they make history. Yeah, I... (laughs) So here is my grand unifying theory of this movie, is this movie invented Oscar bait. This is the first Oscar bait movie. You think even more so than All Quiet on the Western Front? I think All Quiet on the Western Front was intended to be a really good movie, and that way would win Oscars. This was the first movie that was intended to do things that the Oscars would like so that the Oscars would give it awards. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I agree. And I I understand the difference there. They do the whole, like, oh, one actor playing the same character over 40 years? 30 years? 40 years? Yeah, somewhere there. Where they, like, age, and you're supposed to be really impressed with how they, like... Put a wig on him. to play... Uh, right, right. Or put flour in their hair. We're definitely not talking intense special effects no. here. 
So there, there is definitely that. To very briefly sum up the plot, which would be difficult, there's a dude named Yancey who marries a chick named Sabra? Yes. They leave someplace in Kansas to go on one of the land rushes and end up in Osage. He goes on a land rush and gets tricked by a hooker into not getting the land that he wanted. Comes back, tells his wife all this, goes, we're moving to Oklahoma anyway. He sticks around in a town for a while and, like, shoots an outlaw that he has this, like, weird brotherly relationship with for no fucking reason. Like, they've just, like, always known each other and been... Because they met one time. Yeah. (laughs) And then he decides to start a newspaper, and then... He decides that he's bored running a newspaper and runs off to another land claim for five years, just ditching his wife so that she can run the newspaper. An infant son. Mm -hmm. Ditching his wife, an infant son. Let's not forget that. Comes back just in time to defend the prostitute that stole his land from his own wife, who he has not seen in five years. Gets suddenly, and no, I guess he's consistently woke about Native Americans in this movie that is... Aside from the fact that he's going on land rushes, where he's like, oh, it's fine because the U.S. government paid them for the land. This is such a, like, weird movie version of, like, progressiveness. Because it's, like, the exact opposite of, like, Mm -hmm. classic... I I always think of the Betty Draper scene because the Betty Draper scene did it so fucking well in Mad Men of just like, it's just not right now. You know, I just think, why are they making it such a big deal right now? And this is like the exact opposite of that because it's like, no, you don't have any points. You don't, we need your land. We are totally better about it. But also you guys got a really raw deal. And I know that you should get more stuff than you're getting. Like, he has these, like, weird pronouncements of, like, I don't blame the government for what people in the government do to Native Americans. And it's like, what? Why not, dude? That doesn't make any sense. You, the, the people in the government are the government. Who do, what? It's not like the U.S. government is God and the people serving in the U.S. government are are the priests who are, like, just carrying out what God told us to do. Like, the government is made by the people. Yeah, so he just, like, he has these weird progressive beliefs that, like, come from nowhere and are actually, like, really personally damaging to him. That he, like, has these weird beliefs and yet, like, they don't infiltrate the core of his person. The core of his person is still, like, Gotta go on all those land rushes, though. He is, like, the physical embodiment of Manifest Destiny, and yet he oh, yeah. always wants to do what is best for the Native Americans in this weird, like, nebulous, somebody else will handle this after I make my grand pronouncements about it kind of a way. He's kind of like the definition of the hypocritical white ally who's like on a personal level will tell people, you know, don't say bad things about Native Americans while very literally and obviously benefiting from their displacement. I guess it's just weird to me because I... There are just all these moments where he's, like, tempted by the devil of taking advantage of Native Americans. And he's like, I'll never do that. Never. 
And I'm like, dude, you do that all the time. What are you talking about? Just become governor. What the fuck are you talking about? Right, so he comes back to town and defends Dixie Lee, who is the prostitute in question, who's had, like, the ladies' country club somehow team up to get her arrested for prostitution. And they're all really psyched to throw her in jail. And his wife, who has been running the paper, has actually, like, set out the typeface for the front page article about how she goes to jail. Yeah. He defends her in court, basically with, like, you know, this is survival sex work. She didn't want to do it. She, Her parents died and left her with nothing. And then this guy took advantage of her, blah, blah, blah. Which, like was A, the only truly compelling scene for me for three reasons. One, he does give a a hell of a a defense of her, even though it is in no way supported by anything else he has done in the movie. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I I agree with you. Like, I, I also did find it compelling, but I was also just, like, super duper bothered by how much it was, like, a courtroom scene because you have to have a big courtroom scene for your Oscar nomination because yeah it it really isn't supported by anything else in the film he's not even a lawyer no like there's this through line of him doing irritating <laughs> quotes for no fucking reason that i guess like plays into the like wordplay of his like lawyerly persona It's so fucking weird. This movie is so fucking weird. So that was one of the reasons that I found it compelling in a literal sense of like, I am watching this very actively and not having to struggle to do so. The other reason was that his hair kept bouncing distractingly. It was like, my God, did the hair people not have a fucking bobby pin? (laughs) It was outrageous. And three, Dixie Lee is literally, despite her horrifically Confederate name, the only sympathetic, without question character in this movie to me. Yeah, I would totally support that. I would much rather watch a a Dixie Lee movie than the movie that we watched about all, like, a racist black caricature. A wife who, like, constantly, she also has this weird thing of just, like, becoming racist for the sake of a scene like there's just this weird thing with her she is like super duper like supportive of her husband until she's not anymore and then is again just for no fucking reason between time skips it's like anybody's guess what character she is because she's just kind of whatever character she needs to be for him in the scene. Right, to be his foil. And yet somehow ends up becoming a a member of the House of Representatives by the end? Yes. Like the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, which I like kind of makes sense to me actually, but the thing that is weird about that to me is that it's literally like, her being super duper racist about Indians is her only character trait for like 20 minutes. And then just we just time skip to 20 years later when she is a U.S. congressman who is super duper happy about her super duper racistly portrayed Native American daughter. Daughter-in-law, yeah. Daughter-in-law. Like, it is 
super weird. The reason for it, which is such total bullshit, because this is a woman who literally 35 minutes into the movie, with almost no reason at all, says to her kid, I told you to stay away from those dirty, filthy Indians. And then, like, every time Native Americans are brought up, she has to have some comment about them, yet employs one of them in her home, essentially as a maid, who ends up marrying her eldest son. But the reason that she that she becomes happy about and defensive of Native American rights is not even that. It's because her husband Yancey writes an op-ed and tells her that 10 years from now... She's going to be the most proud of that op-ed of anything that they've ever printed in the newspaper. Oh, and then, by the way, disappears for the rest of his life immediately afterward. <laughs> right, like 10 years? I, th- I thought it was closer to 20. Like, I thought that last time skip was, like, fucking long. But, like, I, I can't quite tell. It was, it was a while. Because, like, the kids all of a sudden are, like, grown. Yeah, it's super weird. It doesn't really explain why he goes away again. It's just like she is angry about this op-ed that she rightfully thinks is going to get them into a lot of trouble. And then we skip over the lot of trouble to 20 years later where he's just been gone the whole fucking time. Apparently just hanging out at an oil derrick. Like, I don't fucking... (laughs) I... I, this is such a weird movie. It is all plot incident and no actual, like, plot development. Yeah. Nobody ever becomes a new person. They just suddenly are new people because new things have to keep happening. Yes. I, ugh. It's definitely Oscar bait in that way of, like, watch people give these really dramatic performances, but with no foundation for those dramatic performances. Its politics are so, like, Hollywood liberally. Like, it's so, like, progressivism with no basis in a way that makes no sense and is actually kind of insulting. Like, it's like the crash of 1931. (laughs) Like, there's, like, all of these, like, There's these weird, like, defenses of Judaism that are weirdly insulting to Jews. Oh, there's so, so many stereotypes in this movie that are just wild. I mean, first of all, they have a black little boy who is their, like, servant of some kind? Yeah. He's not a slave because it's it's too late in history for him to be one. But his dialogue is so stilted to the point of being like incomprehensible. And he's 12 or 13 and basically talks in a combination of slang and like how a 5-year-old would. Yeah, and he gets unceremoniously shot like a third of the way into the picture. And then we're supposed to have this big emotional reaction because because they do, but it's like, we've barely seen them interact at all. It's just so unearned. It's also weird because, like, it's not like they feel any guilt for what happened. They're just very sad that he is dead, even though it is totally their fault that he is dead. <laughs> yes, They, like, both are just like, what a terrible tragedy that randomly happened to this boy who works for us that I ordered to run outside in the middle of a firefight. (laughs) 
who could have known? The world is such a random and awful place. Anyway, let's get an Indian servant now. Like, it's so fucking weird, this movie. It also, like, at that point in the movie, has done absolutely nothing to indicate that it really wants you to believe that it has progressive politics. Right. And then becomes a movie about, like, this champion of the Red Man as this very progressive person continually calls them throughout this entire movie. Yeah, it's kind of hard to take him seriously in any capacity. And it's also difficult to take the movie seriously in any capacity because at the end when we have this reveal of Sabra like having, there's a lunch in her honor for being the first woman congressman from from Ohio and she introduces her daughter-in-law and her daughter-in-law is wearing... Oh Christ, that scene. What can only be described as Hollywood's idea of what would happen if you took a flapper gown and like a like a blanket. It's, it's the Pocahontas outfit. <laughs> it's 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 Hollywood's one dress for Native American women. Right. It's the the only dress Native American women have, which is like a sack with beads <laughs> all over it. And and fringe. This one also has fringe. Yes. It's the it's the Pocahontas dress. And she has this line that's like, I don't even know what the exact line is, but it's something roughly to the effect of, as I, as I was told when I was a child, happiness and peace bestowed upon you. And then has this ridiculous arm movement that's like, she's drawing a rainbow in the sky. And I guess what we're supposed to take from this is that it's like a Native American blessing. Yeah, it's... It was ro- really bad. I had like a metatextual, like I have a headcanon take for what that is. Is just like, it sucks being a politician's daughter-in-law. Like, that. just like she has to go and give this shitty fake Native American blessing at dinners across Oklahoma like, every fucking two weeks. She has rehearsed her, like, may you walk in the light of life for long and walk with the spirits with happiness. Oh, yeah, that is sort of it. Which is is much closer to what it actually is. Like, what I said was just generally hippy-dippy, but yours, I think, is... She actually does say, may you walk in the light Mm -hmm. or something. For oh, long. God. Here's the thing, though. Like, I don't hate this movie the way I have hated some movies because it's too ridiculous to hate. It doesn't stick in my mind enough. Like I say, there's like 80,000 things happen in this movie. And I think I remember about four of them that aren't in the Wikipedia summary. There's just thing after thing after thing where I'm like, who is that again? Why is this guy here? What what are we doing? There is a woman in this movie whose name I never quite caught, but she's basically the representative of snooty eastern seaboard in the town, and she is hilarious. I wanted the movie that was about her. I mean, she's awful. She's definitely, if not, she's not a villain, but, like, we're not supposed to think she's a good person. Yeah. But she is comic relief. Really, the tertiary characters in this movie are, like, way better than any of our leads. Like, all of them. Dixie Lee basically doesn't have much of a role at all in this movie. 
and yet I liked her the most. And I will say that where this movie is surprisingly the most progressive is in its treatment of sex workers. I mean, he's definitely, like, white knighting all over this shit, and his... Yes. What he does is not okay. Like, yes, a, a woman who is a prostitute does deserve to be defended in court, and she has had a rough life, and that's why she was doing this, that it's survival sex work is made, like, very clear without ever... Without ever being like, she's a prostitute! But you know what's going on. I feel like there's this weird thing in this movie where, like, all arguments between Yancey and his wife are like, I have to stand up for what I believe in. And she's like, I'm totally going to leave you if you do this. And he's like, no, you won't. And then he does it. And, like, just once I wanted her to be like, yeah, but someone else can do that. Like, you don't, at, like, <laughs> you do not need to, like, literally go after five years of me not seeing you and defend a prostitute that I hate. Like, I get that you believe in the rule of law, but, like, also there are other dudes in this town. And also he shows up, he showed up that morning and was like, oh, the trial is this afternoon? Peace out. And it's, okay. Or, like, maybe have a discussion with your wife. That's the thing that really bugged me, was that he just shows up in court and talks to the gentleman, and it is exclusively gentlemen, of the jury. Why, why didn't you just have this conversation with your wife? Of, like, hey, I'm gonna go defend her, and here's why. Yeah. Because, actually, like, she's had a really rough life, and imagine if that happened- Like, if that happened to you, wouldn't you want me to defend you as well? Instead, he's like, no, you're a dumb lady. I gotta go- I, I can't actually talk to my- wife about this he is constantly teaching elaborate lessons to his wife and like two-thirds of them are fucking awful and not right but then like she always puts her foot down on like no native americans are inherently inferior and not like we have a child she never actually goes like hey i have a trump <laughs> they have two kids by the end of the I... movie <laughs> Like, it is so, this movie is so weird. It is just a collection of things that the Oscars like. You know, like, bad serialized novels? Like, lesser Dickens and or anything else from the 19th century? Where, like, the, there's just this real feeling of, like, okay, that three minutes is done, time for the next three minutes. <laughs> And none of them are, none of them like fit together in any way. This movie feels like if you cut it apart as like three minute shorts that played in front of other movies for a year, it would weirdly make more sense as a movie. Yeah, because it would be like, now we're checking in with this family we've been tracking for 40 years. It, it doesn't have this weird feeling of like, why are we here for like half the scenes? And like, did I skip something? Did the movie skip something? What is happening? Who is talking? Like, half the time in this film. So, serious question. With the characters in this movie, only using the characters who are in this movie, what is the better movie that could have been made with these characters? I mean, I feel like the, like, good movie is, like, fucking Deadwood, right? Like, it's the history of this town and not this dude. Who is 
absent for 10 to 20 years of 40. And he comes in sometimes and it's like fascinating as he comes in and out. But like also other people are in this fucking town that are important. It like almost does that. Like there are all of these weird shots after every time skip of like everything's up to date in Kansas City. Like look how tall the buildings in the background of the shot are now. They always want to keep you up to date on that, but it's mostly just to let you know how weird his hair is going to look the next time you see him. <laughs> I fucking do not understand this movie is the thing with this movie. Like, I don't hate it, but I just don't fucking get it at all. Like, it's wild to me. This movie is just... It's just everything that they thought the Oscars would like thrown in a big pile and then... That's it. That's that's the whole movie. There's nothing connecting it. Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about would actually be a way better movie because there are characters who are so who are basically dropped in. Well, actually everybody but Yancey is dropped in to show that Yancey is the coolest dude ever, which is never accomplished for me actually. He's somehow the most popular, most liked guy in this town. I mean, he's like a legend. For what? Because he started a newspaper? And he shot a criminal once and then felt bad about it. Like, it's weird because his, like, legacy, like, constantly changes and no one can identify. This movie is so fucking weird. I feel like I have this thing in, like, all entertainment where, like, if a movie, if something fucking sucks, I'm like, eh, that sucked. But if a thing, like, almost didn't suck, I fucking am so upset <laughs> at it. And, like, this movie almost doesn't suck. But in this way where it's like, why did you make the decisions you made? Why did you make this movie instead of the, like, five other movies that would have been easier to make that would have been better than this film? I also was really pulling for this movie from the first screen because it's based on a book by Edna Ferber and then she did, as far as I know, she did the screenplay adaptation. But, I mean, she wrote Showboat, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And Giant, which is pretty good. And she was a member of the Algonquin Roundtable. And the only the only place where any of the effervescence of the Algonquin Roundtable comes out and the, like, searing, satirical wit is in the one woman who is, like, the old lady from back east. I bet there's, like, a 150-page script for this movie somewhere that got, like, cut all to hell by the studio system. I thought it was gonna be good, and it was not. I had the same feeling, and I really, like, I feel like it's not her fault that, like, she wrote this, like, really long, elaborate, like, faithful adaptation of her book, and then the studio was like, gotta get it under two hours. Like, just like, let's just do, we need a big courtroom scene where he defends the hooker, uh, he says some nice things about Indians, uh, we have some good old age makeup, um, in that we have wigs, and that's the movie. Hour and 50. <laughs> like, we got it. I feel like this movie just got, like, killed by having to be a movie in a way that, like, I bet the novel is pretty good at this thing that it is. That, like, making this guy the, like, avatar of Oklahoma without it, like, having these weird jumps to the important moments of his life where everything is about him. <laughs> yeah, which you can do in a however many hundred of pages yeah. 
historical novel. I will say, technically, this movie is probably the first movie that we've watched where it's like, okay, they've got it. They really know how to make a movie. They know how to act in a movie. They know how to shoot a movie. They know how to make it sound good. They know how to do sets. Yes, although it uh, somehow weirdly jumps immediately from they don't know how to make movies to this is like making fun of people making movies. I love the little introductory over-the-shoulder shots of everyone against a black background of, like, the entire cast at the start of this movie. I love that you are literally introduced to Yancey with him doing a, oh, hi, I didn't see you there. It's fucking amazing. There are a number of scenes in here that that do really feel, in retrospect, like satire of Oscar bait. The courtroom scene, which, again, is the best and tightest scene in the whole film, is totally the stereotypical big dramatic courtroom scene. Oh, yeah. From every movie ever. This is the first movie that felt like it knew how to use its budget, is what I will say. That, like, this is the first, like, Hollywood movie that, like, oh, yeah, like, it's all up there on the screen. The sets look good. They built, like, a lot of standing buildings to be like, holy shit, they, like, built a building. There's a couple of hundred people in the land rush scene, opening scene. They really fucking put put some money into this thing in ways that, like, show properly. In ways where, like, Wings was like, you guys didn't, you, you didn't know how to shoot airplanes yet, huh? Like, there's just a lot of, like, weird things in that one of, like, well, we got to do a scene where she does, like, wacky prop comedy while the bombs fall. <laughs> and this movie doesn't have any of that. Like, this movie, like, is professional about the scenes that are in it. How many actors are in things. Like, nothing feels like there's, like, a, eh, fuck it, just put Chad in there shot. There were, like, 15 of those in in old Arizona. Right. They're just, like, somebody's brother was on set that day, and so it's a barbershop quintet <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and, and I, like, do respect this movie for that. Like, there is something positive to be said about, like, trying for an Oscar the way this movie is. There's a lot of negative things. But there is something positive to be said for it. I guess being the first one that was just like, fuck it, we're going for the gold. Yeah. And like, it worked. I, I... I, Yeah. I do want to touch briefly on the poster again. Sure. Because the poster has Yancey with his shirt torn and like his well-developed pectoral muscle and shoulder out and he's holding a gun in one hand and he's wearing like a gun belt yeah and i don't know how like what bearing that has on the movie at all because he is in no way a sex symbol we never see him have sex no just mysteriously he has another child all he does is quibble with his wife yeah uh <laughs> I'm trying to find, like, a larger version of this poster, and I cannot do it. I guess it's supposed to be his wife in the background. Yeah, but if you told me it was Dixie Lee, I would totally believe you. It's just, like, a brunette woman with, like, a red silk scarf gown thing. Which also in no way relates to anything that happens in the movie. Like, it is not a romance novel. It is not an action film. 
It's not even a Western. I was going to say, it's like a Western for the first 40 minutes, and then it's bored with being a Western after that. Yeah, I mean, it has the stereotypical, which apparently was the first ever time that they did this, Boomtown Main Street with all the facades of all the buildings. And there's like the shootout on Main Street that we will come to know very well in Western movies. But it's not really a Western. Yeah, no, it's it's just weird. (laughs) There's a weird way in which like this movie was perfected as Gone with the Wind, right? What this movie is like wants to be is Gone with the Wind. Which I haven't actually seen. I mean, I know I will, but I've never seen it. Vaguely racist, but thinks it is progressive generational historical fiction romance. Okay, yeah, that's what this wants to be. Yeah, and, like, it's just fucking weird. It's not even bad, it's just weird. Yeah, there are elements of it that are bad. (laughs) Oh yes, absolutely, but, like... It isn't bad the way that In Old Arizona is a bad movie. Like, badly made. In its own insidious way, it is as racist, but it is a technically better movie because they knew how to use recording equipment. (laughs) It's also, like, a better movie than In Old Arizona because I think it, like, I'm trying to figure out quite how to, like, phrase that, like, it doesn't think that it has negative feelings about Native Americans. This movie doesn't think that it is racist. It is racist, but it doesn't think that it is. In Old Arizona thinks it's racist and thinks that's fine. Cimarron not only doesn't think that it's racist, it thinks that it is specifically actively anti-racist. Yeah. And it's not. This is a thing that we fucking have all the time still today is like, I don't know what this movie thinks it is about except trying to win an Oscar. It's not about anything. It doesn't, like, have any sense of consistency or, like, any through line to it. It's just a series of scenes that will win you an Oscar. It's a lot of of big, dramatic, over-the-top performances, one after the other, with no real reason. I apologize, because I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over again, because I'm just fucking mystified by this film. Like, it is like, (laughs) it doesn't sit in my head like a fucking story, because it's not a story. It's just a bunch of stuff. And so I'm just, like, trying to sort out this bunch of stuff, and all I have to say is, like, this is just a big fucking pile of crap. And, like, not in a way where, like, everything in it is crap. It's just in that way where just, like, this is just a big pile. Like, there's no differentiation of stuff here for me. It's just, like, just it's just a bunch of stuff. It is the, uh, the, like, random small town thrift store of movies and there's like not even any entertaining ironic t-shirts how would you score this film god i have been dreading that question for this entire fucking recording i (laughs) like i feel like just like the not a number symbol like just like just like error like tilt um (laughs) i i um I give this movie a 404. Like like our catchphrase is that that was a movie. I'm not sure this was a movie. <laughs> I'm not 100% certain on it. Th- three and a half million? What what is this movie? Um three and a half 
I mean, I guess we could we could break it down the way that they do like hotel ratings by different segments of it. So like overall story, I'm gonna give it a one. Yeah. But like technical achievement, Oscar. Like eight, nine? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Like the art direction is phenomenal. And it won for art direction and it yeah. and deservedly. Like it's a beautiful looking movie. So yeah, I'll give like a I'll give it a nine actually for general technical stuff. Acting, I'm gonna give it a five. Because they're just playing because they want it. Yeah. They just want that Oscar. It's totally unmotivated, like, big dramatic moments. But at the same time, like, except for Isaiah, who is, like, not bad because he is bad. He is bad because his lines are a racist caricature. No one stands out as bad acting in this film. No, like, he's given it all that, that he's got for a character that is written, like, garbage. Yeah. So, one, eight, and four. Five brings us to 14. <laughs> We're going to divide this out at the end. Is there any other element we want to throw in? No, I feel like like plot and acting and, and like visuals are the big three. So 14 divided by th- three. It gives us like roughly a four and a half, right? I get, yeah, I guess. That still feels a little high to me. Like, I don't want to go above a four on this. I'll give it a four. Yeah. I feel like this is a below average movie for, like, Oscar movies. But I also just, like, don't know. This is the first time where I just, like, I don't know how to rate this movie. Because it's not like it is failing to be a modern movie. It's, like, just, it's just inexplicable. Like, I just cannot fucking process this thing as a film. Like, I don't... (laughs) I... It's... I'm trying to remember, like, the last film film I saw where this happened, where I was like, what even was that? Independent of quality, what... What happened for the last hour and a half of my life? I mean, like, the only movie I can think of immediately off the top of my head where I had that feeling was Slacker. That's fair. But that movie specifically set out to be that, where, and and I hate that movie, and I know that, like, indie movie people love that movie, and they're like, oh, it's so so amazing because you never revisit the same people again. And I'm like, no, but that's that's bad storytelling. That's just like, here's a character we want to hang out with for five minutes and then move to the next one, and none of it ever connects except they all live in the same town. That was an experiment, and like, fine, more power to uh, Linklater for doing that. But like, it's not a good movie. This feels to me like I like... It's almost like I'm, like, walking into, like, the third movie in, like, a four-movie franchise, having never watched the first two films. Like, there's just, like, all this information that's, like, basically taken as a given, and just, like, things just kind of happen. The thing I'm specifically thinking of is going to see Maze Runner The Scorch Trials without ever seeing the original Maze Runner movie. (laughs) Um, and it, it, this movie feels weirdly similar to that in that just like, oh, Daniel Day Kim is here. Oh, Daniel Day Kim got shot. Oh, that like, just like, just things just occur. And I feel like there's some decoder ring I was not given at the door that was supposed to like make the series of events not inexplicable to me. 
And you didn't get it. No, I really didn't. Because they didn't provide that. No, <laughs> just characters just do things in this movie, and it is very weird. Ugh. My recommendation would be don't watch this movie. Yeah, I d- don't, don't, don't watch this movie. This is one of those things where, like, watch the, like, two-minute YouTube video of, like, what this movie was and why it was important. That'll probably have, like, good shots of buildings in western towns. What is our next film? Is our next film East Lynn? It is. Starring Conrad Nagel, who I always think is in every movie. But he's actually in this movie. Uh. <laughs> and next week I'm going to be like, yeah, Conrad Nagel, who was totally in the big house. Which he wasn't. But I'm going to think he was. Wait, sorry. I need to look something up, though. Because, like... We've also, no, Robert Carlyle is a modern actor. Conrad Nagel is playing a part named Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle is an actor who you may know from Trainspotting or from Once Upon a Time if you had that long weekend on Netflix. I love Robert Carlyle. He is one of my favorite actors, maybe ever. I even forgive him for 28 weeks later, which sucked because I love him that much. I never actually saw that one. Oh, I forgot about Stargate Universe. That was a thing, wasn't it? No, Ro- Robert Carlyle is amazing. Yeah. So, but apparently Conrad Nagel is playing a character who has the same name next week. That's that's what's happening. Yeah. We've got a pretty good poster, so... We've got a good poster and a one-sentence plot summary on Wikipedia, which always bodes well. Oh, it's gonna be so bad! Uh, yeah, well, I actually, like, tried to scroll to find the one sentence plotline and scrolled past it. The good news is the week after that, that poster looks... We've got some horrendous posters coming up for the really the rest of the thirty thirty one season once we're done with East Lynn. The front page's poster is awful. The Skippy poster is actually so awful it wraps back around to being great. <laughs> So I don't know, I don't know how to process that because it's just, it's just a small, ugly, mean looking kid touching his own nose with the tagline in the movies now in person, which I don't even know what that is supposed to mean. Uh, We don't get to that one for like two more weeks, so don't get excited. Okay. So next week we will be back to discuss... Eastland. Eastland. Starring Conrad Nagel as Robert Carlyle of Trainspotting. <laughs> uh, uh, until then, this was a movie? This was a movie. This was a movie. See you next week, guys. Bye. <laughs>